This episode is brought to you by Circle, the issuer of USDC, one of the most trusted stablecoins in the digital asset industry. You'll be hearing all about them later in the show. All right, guys, welcome back to another episode of On the Margin. Uh, this one is a little bit special. We're going to call it a debate format uh, somewhat. We've got uh, Jordi Alexander, who's been on the show before, and Justin Bonds. We're going to be talking about Bitcoin today. Guys, welcome to the show. Pleasure to be here. Thank you. Excellent. Very excited. Very, very excited to be here uh, as well. The impetus for today's, uh, for today's show, let's call it a friendly debate uh, on the merits of Bitcoin in general. Justin, maybe just to, to frame this and, and uh, kick this off, um, you know, you kind of posted uh, one thread in particular that Jordy responded to, and it actually evolved into a couple of different threads, basically debating the merits of, the merits of Bitcoin, uh, right? So I actually kind of want to start with an opening, opening statements here from both sides, where we'll get into more specific points later about Bitcoin's utility uh, and its security costs and its programmability and its uh, you know, ability to integrate into DeFi later. But I'd love to just get uh, opening statements kind of from both sides on how you view crypto in general, what is Bitcoin's place, um, and your kind of ideology and over overarching framework. Um, so Justin, you kind of initiated everything here with with the opening thread. So if I could pick on you to, to go first. Absolutely. Um... So I've been a uh, BTC critic for uh, for a number of years now. Um, initially, you know, my fight was really within Bitcoin, so I fought within the the block size debates to really change it from within. And um, I, the outcome that 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 I was fighting for didn't happen there. So that makes me a, a direct critic of Bitcoin today for a number of different reasons. Um, specifically, um, I'm a big believer in a blockchain's utility. Um, and, and I think because of uh, Bitcoin's limited uh, transaction capacity, that it therefore severely limits the utility of that blockchain. And it's also important to note how utility ties into security, that I believe the security of a blockchain, uh, long term at least, has to come from the underlying utility and value that that generates. And that's why my current position is also that the long term security model of Bitcoin is at threat. And... Um, you know, that's, that's one of the points um, I'm, I'm wanting to make here. And, you know, there's, there's a number of other critiques I have as well, but all of this combines to the position where today I'm, I'm you know, very critical towards Bitcoin. And I, you could say that I don't support it and I support alternative cryptocurrencies uh, instead. Um, and as an example of that, the fund I manage hasn't held any uh, BTC in its portfolio since 2017, as a matter of fact. Excellent. Thanks, Justin. Jordy, what would what would your response uh, to everything that Justin laid out be? I think you know Justin uh, in general makes some valid arguments, and I'm not coming from a um, you know there's this concept of Bitcoin maximalism, and there's a lot of back and forth in that. I actually don't like this term, especially given that it doesn't have like neutrality. It was sort of you know maybe it was created by Vitalik at some point. Um, I think a better way to divide the space is like there, there's Bitcoin orthodoxy. And orthodoxy basically means you believe Satoshi created, you know, a perfect instrument, uh, a perfect tool that doesn't need any changes. You know, we, we just keep going, nothing changes. Um, and there, there are a lot of people in that camp. And um, I am sympathetic to that to, to a certain extent as, as we'll go on. Um, uh, a more important point for me is actually maximalism in something called seniorage. So seniorage is, um, as some, some people probably know when a currency is created, money is being printed, being created by a state or, or by anyone else. Um, 
if you're actually creating money, given that money is, is fungible, it's something that you can always exchange for goods, you can exchange it for wealth, you can exchange it for real estate, for, for resources. If you create money, you're actually giving yourself wealth. And the idea of seniorage is something that is core to, um, you know, cryptocurrency. It was that the, the original vision was creating a, a way of outside of the state's ability to monopolize seniority, uh, seniorage. And so I would, I would describe myself as a seniorage maximalist in the sense that um, I believe that at least, you know, for, for the next century or for the time being, we can't have multiple decentralized forms of seniorage. We can only have one. And Bitcoin, whether we like everything about it or not, has a claim to that seniorage, given that it was the zero to one moment of creating this ability of cryptocurrency to... Uh, you know, solve the double um, double spend problem, create this technology, and it has a few elements that I want to go into as we progress. Where I think there's fundamental reasons to allow it to keep that uh, maximalism of seniorage and try to address a lot of the issues that Justin maybe rightfully um, has to point out, but work around them rather than try to jump on to, you know, the next cryptocurrency and the next one that's a little bit better designed and, and has, you know, more utility. So I think the goal of this debate, guys, one, to have a friendly conversation, explore where you, I think there are some areas where you guys would both agree and then some important areas where you guys would disagree. I would love it if we can frame this in such a way that we aren't kind of ships passing in the night, but we find a way to uh, agree on what are some of the most important points uh, to take away and then directly debate the merits of each one of those points. So Justin, what I heard you say there was ultimately for you, your North Star is utility for blockchains. In order for blockchains to be successful, they have to have utility because that flows down to so many other things, including the security model of those blockchains. Is that about correct? That is correct. And yes. Jordi, what I heard you sort of say is right now there's, you know, I'm sure we'll get into the macroeconomic backdrop of anything, but for you, one of the most important things, is this idea of seniorage, right? Uh, and in a, we're moving from a, from an era where seniorage was exclusively the privilege of governments to an area uh, of digital scarcity and, and uh, uh, seniorage that happens in a, in a digital format. And Bitcoin uh, has the, the most, the most uh, realistic claim to that ability to extract seniors. Is that about correct? Yeah. Okay. Um, let, let's kind of move forward here. Uh, and I actually want to use utility uh, as sort of a jumping off point. Uh, and because I think that's probably a pretty good area where, where the two of us can connect. Um, I think maybe even as background to this, uh, I'd love to actually explain kind of the block size wars, uh, right? There was like the big blocks and the small blocks and they ended up winning out. So uh, Justin, maybe you could, uh, because utility is so important to your framework, like maybe you can kind of take us back in time to what were kind of like the two sides, right? During the block size wars, what were the big block advocates saying? What were the small blocks advocating? Why did we end up going small blocks over big? And what are the implications for the Bitcoin network that has resulted from that? All right, I'll, I'll attempt to keep this history lesson short because this is, um, it's, it's quite a long subject. Um, in, and, and trying to be as non unbiased as I can to describe this, to put it very simply, there were two sides in a debate. 
in a discussion about which direction Bitcoin should head into. And one side wanted to increase the block size limit and the block size limit uh, creates a hard cap on the number of transactions the network is able to process. And the other side wanted to keep it as, as it was, wanted to keep it small and not increase it. And basically there was what you could describe as a type of civil war within Bitcoin where two sides, you know, fought quite vehemently in order to achieve their goals. And uh, that ended up now where I think this idea where the block size will not be increased in Bitcoin really gained dominance. And I think that's the world we live in today. And I think a lot of the people that didn't agree with that path just ended up um, supporting different cryptocurrencies instead. And I think that's actually ultimately how the market is, uh, is resolving the next stage of this, uh, this discussion from my perspective. Jordi, I'd be, I'd be curious um, if you wouldn't mind just addressing Justin's sort of uh, point about utility. Uh, do you agree with him that that's ultimately a large determinant uh, in the outcome for, for certain blockchains? And if so, what do you think about his comments on the utility of the Bitcoin blockchain specifically? I mean, the word utility implies usefulness. And for me, usefulness is a broad term. And by far, the largest utility that you can possibly have in the world, I think, is coordination of uh, humans and their uh, working towards a joint goal in, in a kind of positive some way where they're creating value for each other. And I strongly believe that the most important part of that is the hard money aspect and a fair, transparent monetary system that is accepted and uh, you know able to coordinate this activity. So for me, utility means having that that system. That's the utility. And there are other utilities, and I'll grant that you know being able to do a lot of transactions is one possible utility being able to do like DeFi in the sense of being able to use your wealth as collateral so that, you know, you can kind of have a trustless loan or something else going on is other forms of utility. And I think like those are problems that can get solved over the next decades. But the core issue of utility for me, like is by far the coordination aspect that comes from having a um, coordinated monetary system. Mm. So I think maybe if I could uh, kind of frame things up here, there are multiple different ways that you could measure utility. I think the maybe more, I'll, I'll say Ethereum, but it probably represents a bunch of different L1 uh, sort of perspectives is that the way that the best proxy for measuring utility in a blockchain scenario is the transaction fees that get generated, right? The amount of transactions that are happening on that underlying blockchain. Jordi, I think if I had to sum up your view of the world is that uh, again, probably zooming out and looking at some of these macroeconomic factors, we'd say we're awash in uh, kind of fiat debt, and there's a really unsustainable system that's going on. And the premium that's actually going to be ascribed to uh, a hard form of money, right, with a very strict supply cap, that is actually the better way to measure utility, because you see the market for that hard form of money, uh, and, the, and the need for that out in the world being a better proxy for understanding demand and utility than necessarily just uh, transaction fees. Is that kind of where maybe we're disagreeing here? Um, so there, there are some... Uh things I want to point out on that because it's not entirely accurate. And, and this kind of comes to like, you know, uh, first of all, like what makes good money. And um, I don't actually believe necessarily that uh, there, there needs to be a, a hard supply cap in that sense. I think, um, you know, in, in a world where the economy is always growing and we're always advancing and GDP is positive, it, it, you know, there are reasons to have a um, some inflation in your monetary system that allows for that activity to happen. Uh, so, you know, you know, that, that's one important point to at least point out. There are other reasons, um, that make money, very good money. And it's not about transaction throughput. Um, ultimately when it comes down to it, I have a concept that 
I've been thinking about for you know decades that I've termed a, a phrase now that I want to kind of introduce, um, and it, it is earned ownership. So earned ownership means that like as uh, as a society and as people, we we can kind of see why somebody owns something, why like why why they have this wealth, and you've earned it. And it, there's something deep in us. I studied psychology like a long time ago in uh, university. There's a uh, something inherent in people. Yeah. Okay. Great. So uh, I don't know if you, if you remember BJW, uh, which is not a um, related to Black Lives Matter or anything. It's belief in a just world, and we are inherently in our DNA designed to believe in fairness. And a lot of people, even in sort of game theory situations, where uh, you know if there's a pie with a hundred pieces and somebody keeps 99 for themselves and gives you one, you can either accept or not accept the deal. From a game theory perspective, you should accept it because you're getting one, otherwise you both get zero and you should you should accept it. But actually uh, it's in our DNA and most people in that scenario would actually reject it. They would lose that one in order to make sure that the person who has offered 99 to themselves doesn't keep that. It is, it is such a strong uh, part of, of like who we are as humans. So earned ownership is something that um, is at the core of any organizational system that invo- involves money. If you know people believe that the king has money that he doesn't earn, you get you know the French Revolution, you get like uh, Arab Springs, you get all kinds of like uh, rebellions. And so for anything to really sustain as money, I think earned ownership is at the key of it. And there, in cryptocurrency, are many ways to create better, you know, mouse traps. Where you say like, okay, like you know, I'm gonna take Bitcoin, but I'm gonna make the block size bigger. I'm gonna like make it add like, you know, other like smart contract capabilities and stuff like that. But ultimately, like th- those things can lack severely in terms of like the the earned ownership. Justin, I'd, I'd be curious uh, to hear your response to that. And in general, I'd love to get your thoughts, maybe as an advocate of Ethereum, if you see uh, Ethereum or Ether, the asset, competing on the same kind of dimension or plane that Jordy's outlining? And do you see a monetary aspect to Ethereum outside of its utility? Yeah, I want to be wary not to make this an Ethereum versus BTC debate, but I I, I do actually agree that that Ethereum um, succeeded at achieving these money properties in a way that's that's better than BTC. But I've been been listening um, to, to Jordi, and I think that we actually agree on almost all things. I think the difference in our opinion is really how we prioritize and, and what we think is more important out of, you know, all of these different trade-offs that we have to make when it comes to, you know, designing blockchains and, and choosing what the ideal design is. And, and I think one of those is seniorage. I think that's, that's very much a point I think is where we differ. And, and, I, and I value seniorage as well, that Bitcoin was the first um, that that it has the position that it has now. I I would prefer it if Bitcoin just adopt the perfect design and became the best money, and we could all just adopt that and we could change the world. I think that would be a better outcome than having to you know go to the next cryptocurrency and then the next cryptocurrency. But unfortunately, I think that is it's the latter scenario that we're facing if we really want to have you know the best technology and the best money. And I think this point about money is is very interesting. And, you know, I can tie that a little bit back to the block size debates as well in terms of like, what is money? Right? I think we really have to ask ourselves this question, like, what is money? 
and um, you know, at, at the risk of maybe being, being a bit outdated, but if I were to use uh, Aristotle's definition of money, which is you know, uh, quite old, but I think still has some merit in terms of just covering some of the basics, I think some of the characteristics of money, he, he said there's four main characteristics. And one characteristic of money is that it's durable. Okay. And because Bitcoin uh, long-term security model is at risk and there's all these uncertainties around Bitcoin, you know, I would question the, um, you know, the, the durability of that model, or maybe you could also look at durability from the perspective of having a predictable supply. And I think right now, even Jordi will have to um, concede that long-term, you know, BTC supply is not particularly predictable because we have this, this looming um, dilemma over us about what are we going to do with long-term security. And the most obvious solution to solving that problem uh, in the absence of increasing the block size limit and really attracting a lot more, quote-unquote, utility, uh, a lot more value, I think the alternative is really increasing inflation. And I think that that does um, reduce the scarcity and it reduces the economic qualities that that I think makes Bitcoin good money. And now if we compare that to something, just using Ethereum here as an example, I mean, it's, it's pretty much achieving negative inflation um, now. And I think just, just from an economic perspective, uh, you know, negative inflation uh, plus a higher capacity uh, makes it a bit of money. Can I just quickly Please. interrupt on that? Because yeah, yeah. I would say that this is one point that most frequently gets, uh, you know, put up by other people in the crypto space who are coiners. They're not no coiners, but they will make this about Ethereum as being ultrasound money. Um, for me, it shows that while they have a good understanding of like technology and history and philosophy, um, there is a there is a fundamental lack of maybe macroeconomic understanding and um, the characteristics that they think are good in terms of like deflation. Uh, first of all, are not even valid. A deflationary money is not good money. It has little reason to spend it if you can earn more share of the network by simply keeping it. That allows no velocity, which is not good for you know uh, socially dispersing the money to other people because you are just earning by holding it. That is actually not a good characteristic of money. Justin is correct though. I, I actually am in his camp on the durability argument. One of the weaknesses of Bitcoin is that it has an uncertain future because of the security model that while Satoshi invented a brilliant, incredible technology and a lot of the aspects of it are like art, you know, it's like Mozart the automatic recalibration of the difficulty level for, for hashing so many pieces of it are, are so well designed, but some are some, he could not predict, you know, it was an experiment and we have discovered things over like the multiple cycles that we have to be aware of and understand that while Satoshi was brilliant, he could not have foreseen a lot of the things that we figured out, you know, even Litecoin, claimed to be the digital silver to the digital gold. And we were going to just use Litecoin instead and then move it. Some of these narratives we've learned are in practice, not actually how people behave and, and they don't make sense. You can't just, you know, use the analogy of silver and gold and, and move it over. It doesn't work. And one of the things that, um, you know, Satoshi thought was this was going to be cash in the sense of, you know, 
we would just spend it for cups of coffee. And, and like, you know, th this would be a core part of how Bitcoin is used. Now, while there is attempts to do this with Lightning and, and, you know, potentially some of them might succeed, I think it is very fair to say that there is uncertainty as to whether this happens. Because if right now, today, the minor block rewards were actually, let's say like, you know, uh, four or five halvenings down the road where we were at, you know, 0.1% um, block rewards, we would have a big problem with security because the incentives would be so low that it would, it would be sort of trivial for, you know, a threat, an actor who wants to harm Bitcoin to come in. Um, it is something that challenges the durability. Uh, I just have a different way of approaching it than, than Justin, who basically says, you know, there's a meteor coming, let's just get off this planet, uh, or just like, let, you know, let, let's like not, let's just let it die. Basically. Let's just, let's just not worry about earth. Let, let's just go to Venus, you know? Um, I think that there's a lot of valuable things that are needed to be kept. And I would rather shuttle them in a spaceship and then take them with us if indeed there isn't a meteor coming. So I'm not saying for sure that transaction fees will never pick up exponentially, but I will agree that as, as we are right now, obviously transaction fees would, would not cover security. Um, and I think just in a forward looking sense, it's very possible that in 10, 20 years, there will be a challenge of let's move this system to a, a slightly different system but we can still keep the most important bit of all, which is the state, the kind of accumulated UTXOs, the accumulated coordination over years of that lindiness that's been built and the fairness and the kind of origin. And we can accept that, okay, we, we have to kind of change the security model. So that would be my approach to the whole security issue. I, I've got a few things to respond to here uh, now. So that was that was that was really good. And I also just just want to take this opportunity just to commend you. Um, I, I just think it's it's you have the intellectual honesty to bite the bullet on some of these issues, and I really respect that. And I hope I'll have that opportunity in this uh, uh, later on in this discussion as well. But we'll see. Um, I I have a few notes here. So first of all, uh, in regards to the economics. Um, I think we might just disagree on, on, on that because I'm familiar with the economic theories that state that, you know, inflation is good and, um, you know, you know, all of these type of things, but I personally do adhere more to, um, the idea and especially in the context of cryptocurrency, I think, you know, cryptocurrency is this very new thing. And I think we can look at it through a different lens. And fundamentally, I don't believe that a um, higher inflation money is necessarily a better money. Or I, I mean that, let me do be accurate here for, for people that do have a background in economics. I don't believe that inflation of the monetary supply makes um, you know a better money per se. So I actually think within the context of cryptocurrency, something that is more scarce and something that uh, has negative inflation because of a burning mechanism is a better money because it's more scarce, you know, scarcity being one of the attributes of, of money that I think is, at least from maybe a more of an Austrian perspective, is actually um, valuable. And I think that's just within, and, and 
maybe to speak a little bit more to the psychology because what you mentioned about like the velocity of money and how people don't want to spend it and, and, and all of these things. I think ultimately, I don't think that that is actually such a terrible thing. And I think if we think about, well, money needs to keep inflating or else we can't pay back the loans uh, and, 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 you know, to, to say central banks, I think that's somewhat coming from more of a fiat. Uh, a fiat money paradigm as well, where I think that, you know, people still want to spend money, even if their money goes up in value, right? Um, I, I, I don't I think it's true that people it. will hold I, the money that, that loses value. I don't, I don't think that re really makes sense, psychologically speaking. Yeah. Um, please clarify. About, like, certainly, I'm not talking about uh, needing velocity of money in order to repay central bank debt or deflate central bank debt. Of course. There is no yeah. central bank in this case. And I, 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 I am merely talking about investment which is like purposeful investment, like good investment that can be a positive sum, you know, you, you put in two and you get back three um, because you're creating utility for, for people and um, keeping back investment in productive activities is kind of what I'm referring to. And, and certainly I am no, no fan of central banks and their, and their debt. No, no, I, and and we're in agreement there. Actually, that's just part part of why I think we're involved in this movement is to create a good alternative to that system, right? Um, but I think I think this idea that our money has to like lose value over time. I don't think that's true. I think money that increases in value over time, just by design on average, you know, assuming the same demand and all of these things, then I think that's actually a better form of money. And what we have today is, you know, there's, there's, um, there's a bit of a transfer between rich and poor where poor people might hold a lot of quote unquote money and keep the majority of their assets in things like stocks and, and, and investments, which, which do increase in value. So I think that cryptocurrencies that are designed to increase in value, I think makes them more valuable because cryptocurrencies also have the virtuous cycle where the more valuable a cryptocurrency is, the more secure it becomes as well, because, you know, that's part of the, uh, it's able to provide a bigger carrot, so to speak, in the um, game theory of the underlying design. So I think there's a number of different reasons why I would just respectfully disagree in terms of the economic requirement for money to be inflationary. I think that a shrinking monetary supply is not uh, a bad thing. I actually see it as more of a positive thing. And we, if our money, you know, tracks the growth of global GDP, I, I really, I don't think that's a disaster. And if people save more, I think that's fine as well. I mean, um, e economics is not my specialty. Um, but I think I'm, I'm, I'm fairly confidently saying that I'll move on to, to the point I was making earlier around defining, you know, what good money is. And I think Aristotle made, an, made his four points. The first point was durable. We discussed that. The next point is portable. And in the second definition also, it's, it's, you know, not because of the block size limit, because of the limits on capacity, the number of people that can actually use Bitcoin is fundamentally limited. It would take more than 40 years for everyone in the planet just to do one transaction. And, and I think that does not make it particularly portable. And if people did attempt to really do that on mass, then obviously the fees would go up. And that again makes it less portable. Speaking to the third point uh, of, of Aristotle's four four points of money it also makes it less divisible and divisible was also an, an aspect that's considered as part of good money right and um his fourth point uh, from, from aristotle was uh, intrinsic value i think we probably agree that there's no such thing as intrinsic value but i think i i would translate that more to the economic uh aspects of it um of, of the underlying design such as you know inflation and predictable supply and, and and all of these things now i think the reason why uh the world moved away from gold 
um, from because we for the majority of human history we had money that was based on precious metal coins and this was like and 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 I will um, uh, link this back to what you were saying earlier a, a little bit as well regarding seniorage I think for the majority of human history um, like if you went to a, a market in ancient Rome um, in, in in the times of the Republic let's say then you would find money from all sorts of places uh, copper money uh, silver money gold money with different stamps Persian money um, you know um, you know uh, even even, you know, uh, Northern money, you know, all sorts of money in a market. And I think for the majority of human history, that has been the case. We have multiple forms of money. And I don't think it's necessarily the case, as you mentioned earlier, that, that we can only have one form, especially in, in this new digital world where, you know, I can, I can have a credit card and, and it automatically charges euros wherever I am in the world. And I think, you know, cryptocurrency is very much able to do the same thing. So I think the network effects of money at least in the context of cryptocurrency, actually weakened, at least from that perspective. I think they're strengthened from the perspective of security. I think that's where the strongest network effects actually lie, is that is that um, the more used cryptocurrency or the more valuable cryptocurrency is more secure, and that, that that's like the virtuous cycle that I was referring to before. Um, and uh, going back to how we left from um, using gold. So we used to use gold as money, but gold ended up not being a very not a perfect form of money because it was missing the portability aspect of it. It was very difficult to move gold around. So then we started getting gold IOUs, right? And then, you know, we had fractional reserve banking and then we abandoned, uh, you know, having any link to, to, to gold at all. And that's the world we live in today where, where money is this purely uh, a type of construct. And I think cryptocurrency enters the stage because it's, it's effectively, you know, a type of, I, I don't think this is a, perfect analogy but cryptocurrency generally speaking is a type of digital gold the difference is is you can't sprinkle gold dust down a phone line and send it across the world for fractions of a cent and i think what bitcoin did by restricting its utility is the one thing that i think made it better than the current system uh, and made it better than a gold system actually is the part that bitcoin abandoned by um by by not pursuing utility and by not actually scaling the underlying network I'd love, I'd love a chance to respond to several yeah, of those please points. Respond. Please, um, please respond, Jordy. I actually like disagree with, with so many of them. Um, I, I, I would not even give the, uh, the argument about intrinsic value and, and whether there is such a thing. I, I do think there is such a thing. Um, kind of go, going in order, I would say on the, um, you, you talked about uh, like how, how difficult it is to have billions of people do transactions on Bitcoin. And again, I would say like this is something to to be solved, and there are many ways to structure a solution. Obviously, Ethereum has one way in terms of having layer twos and layer threes, and um, you know that system and, and a form of that system is is very achievable on Bitcoin as well as as well as on any other blockchain. So I, I wouldn't agree that if, you know, if I may just mm -hmm. just real real shortly, I don't I don't actually agree with the path that that Ethereum has taken in that regard. So just. Continue. Okay. I mean, yeah, of course, some people like the kind of monolithic blockchains and, and some people are okay with, with uh, other, other solutions. Um, but I would analogize it as sort of like, you know, you can have um, certain parties that do one transaction on Bitcoin and that can result in like many transactions on, on a higher layer. So um, in, in terms of like the, the Aristotle arguments in general, 
again, we have learned things even in the last 10 years since cryptocurrency was created. Like, let's not even, you know, of course, Aristotle's a genius. And, you know, being of Greek background myself, I would love to praise him all day. But the reality is, like, you know, there were there are so many economic experiments and realizations that we've had in, in the last 2000 years. Um, in terms of uh, the, the intrinsic value, uh, again, getting back to psychology and, and sorry to keep kind of jumping on this, but I think it's, it's at the core of what money is, as I mentioned, as a coordination mechanism. There are certain elements that, you know, sound flimsy, um, like uh, sort of having a, a story. But I think stories and legends and archetypes are, again, intrinsically part of what being human is. And something that Bitcoin has is an incredible, incredible story. And this is extremely important because the billions of people around the world are not going to spend, you know, like, like all, all three of us probably have, you know, many, many years studying everything from finance, technology to psychology, philosophy, and getting, you know, some understanding of, of these concepts. They need archetypes. They need stories. And Bitcoin has a very unique story that will not ever be replicated by any other cryptocurrency because of its creation, first of all, the way that it got um, brought into this world. We have, you know, this incredible story of an anonymous founder who has had billions of dollars worth of coins that he has never touched that are, that are sort of just, you know, there's two ways to look at it. Either he, he gave it to the world and then he died or, or he's still alive but he, he, he believes in this so much that, you know, he, he just doesn't want to touch billions of dollars that he could, you know, quickly cash out and, and get out of the system. So that shows like a selflessness that is proven. It's like a proof of work on like the, the origin of, of Bitcoin. Meanwhile, you know, Ethereum, which is the second best in this regard, you have all these co-founders and then like two years later, they're all doing different coins and you got Polkadot and Cardano and, you know, everyone's got like a slightly different vision and they're, that's, that's, it's a great story. And, you know, there, there's books about it, but in terms of like archetypes and, uh, you know, something that is semi-religious in a way that, that people can in a simple way understand and across the world sort of adopt, there is no second best, like, sorry to, to use that term. But it, it's not even close in terms of like the legend of the creation and the origin. Um, so there is intrinsic value to that, I would very strongly argue. I don't know if you have any thoughts on that, Justin. I, no, I actually I actually mostly agree with you on that, actually, that the story of Bitcoin is amazing. And, and it really inspired me to, to dedicate my life to, to this movement. And in some ways, I still see myself as a Bitcoiner because I still want want to support you know those principles that it was initially built upon um but i think that a story can only go so far and i think the problem with bitcoin is that it has a great story but it's on track to hit a wall and i think that wall that bitcoin is going to hit is is going to contradict some of that narrative and that's going to affect affect a lot of people's faith in Bitcoin. And I would go a step further, even saying that that story is valuable and people can form a religion around that. And I think I have mixed feelings about that. Um, but I think the utility of blockchains, the actual value that we can create by removing middlemen, the actual value that comes from having a more 
decentralized distribution of power, right? Where we can have DAOs and where we can have decentralized exchanges and we can have all of these, these amazing things. Um, I think that is more valuable than the story alone can be, especially if there are some major contradictions in that story, uh, at least not in your case, Jordi, uh, but I think for a lot of other people. A lot of and 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 I think you agree with with me that sometimes religion can take things too far, um, and and I think that that acts as a major impediment for Bitcoin to uh, to change. So you know, economics is not my uh, specialization, but but governance and politics is, and and I think from that regard, I'm I'm skeptical that Bitcoin will be able to make the required changes in time before it hits that wall. And I think if it hits that wall, it's going to be too late and it's likely going to lose its prominence in a lot of people's eyes. And, and, and I appreciate that, that you're fighting to prevent that. I, I, I really, really do. But in my honest opinion, and, you know, I, I also manage, manage a fund. So it's, you know, it's also my job to pragmatically and realistically try to predict that future. I, I see, you know, Bitcoin being overcome by cryptocurrencies that are able to be a better Bitcoin, essentially. So I agree with Justin that there is a potential threat in terms of the security model and having to make certain changes either to, uh, you know, tail emissions or some, some other form of uh, change that will keep the security of Bitcoin. And I understand his position in terms of, you know, not wanting to bet his fund on it while there's any sort of threat. But I will say he's making a bet against human ingenuity. And as we've seen in you know, all sorts of situations, humans will keep delaying solving the problem until it's really within view. And then when they, you know, a ton of really incredible minds really push it forward because there is a clear threat in the horizon, you know, we'll invent vaccines that we haven't been able to do in, in you know, hundreds of years. We'll, we'll do crazy things in, in a really short amount of time. So his bet against you know, human um, ingenuity, like I said, is, is a bet that he can make. I, I would think that I'll take the more optimistic route that as we get closer to these things, coordination will start to set in. But I, I agree with him that there is a contradiction in terms of Bitcoin being immutable and just being accepted how it was and the, the kind of culture of it being so much against forking and any changes and the potential improvements that can be made and we do see sometimes improvements. We'll see, you know, Taproot. We'll see like certain incremental improvements um, that are accepted by Bitcoin Core and accepted by the community. But I do, I have to give Justin the point that there will be like a next challenge, which is a lot of Bitcoiners are, for example, attached to the idea of 21 million Bitcoins in a way that they think, wrongfully so, uh, that the core benefit of Bitcoin is that it's only 21 million and it's always 21 million. And as soon as there's 21 million and one, all of the value goes away. They, they kind of put those two things together. And it is possible that in a, you know, in a, in a low security situation, they will go against the changes that need to get made. Uh, but I like to believe that, um, you know, things can change on a dime. We've seen that many times, even in crypto, we, we've seen Luna go from the best thing in the world to like a total scam within like a week. And then the whole world changed their mind. So I'm not convinced that, you know, over a period of 10, 20 years, if there are, if indeed there are going to be problems with security, that Bitcoiners will not 
be able to coordinate. I think they will be able to coordinate. I speak to a lot of companies in both crypto and traditional finance, and as it turns out, they share a common problem. They need a one-stop shop for treasury management and fast international payments around the globe. Circle's USDC is one of the most trusted and widely used stablecoins in the industry. At the time of this recording, USDC has 50 billion in circulation, one and a half million users worldwide, and is settling more than $5 trillion. That's trillion with a T worth of value. USDC has quickly become one of the easiest ways to move your money around the globe. On top of all that, Circle is building products for companies and institutions that want to adopt this technology. That means payment transactions, fraud management tools, digital asset custody, and a whole other suite of services. Here's one of my other favorite parts about Circle. They post monthly audits of their reserves, which means that I don't have to trust. I can verify that my money is safe, transparent, in a compliant manner. Helps me sleep easy at night, you know? As a seamless trusted digital dollar, USDC is a zero to one opportunity for the entire global financial system. And you know what? Don't trust me, you can verify. Check out their recently published Transparency Hub on the website. It's a great update to Circle's content in USDC, outlines everything from USDC weekly reserve reports, monthly attestations, and blog posts written by their exec team. Just go to circle.com backslash transparency to access it. Now, back to the show. It's been portrayed, especially in the media, as a disadvantage, but Bitcoin is the only blockchain anymore of any size or significance that has a proof-of-work consensus mechanism, as opposed to all other major blockchains, which essentially have proof-of-state. I think I think one. if you also go back to Aristotle's definition of money, Aristotle viewed money as a commodity-like instrument, right? Um, and what I, what I would say is, I, I'd love to get your thoughts on the, the differences, right, when we're thinking about moneyness of something about how commodity like it has to be and what the implications of proof of work versus proof of stake are there maybe Jordan, since you're nodding i'll, I'll call on you first no uh, let's let let's let justin okay, go justin first, um, thank you yeah i i appreciate that um so i'll touch on the proof work versus proof of stake i'd like to just briefly respond to what what jordy just said as well right. um i i agree that i think you are the more optimistic one out of the two of us, but I'll disagree that I'm uh, betting against human innovation or um, because, and, and the reason for that is because, you know, I think there is more innovation in the alternative cryptocurrencies than there is in BTC itself right now. Um, I, I do understand your point in terms of BTC will be able to innovate. Um, and I suppose I am betting against that. So I just, I just want to clarify that, that point. Um, now uh, to proof of work versus proof of stake. Um, I've, I've done a lot of analysis on this recently, and I'm now of the position that I think that proof of stake is really just a, um, a superior mechanism. Um, I'm, 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 I'm conscious that, that we're limited on time and we're about to discuss another very big subject. Uh, but I think if I, if I were to really bring it, really, uh, uh, shorten it, I would say actually that proof of stake is, um, you know, more, more decentralized, uh, economically, uh, more efficient, which, which allows it to be a better form of sound money. Um, and also more secure in terms of, uh, the cost to attack, assuming a, uh, similar type of system. So, so in that regard, and, and to add to that as well, I also think proof of work has some major problems in terms of governance, but I'm aware that, that this is maybe a little bit too much to all unpack at, at, at this time, but Jordi, I'll, I'll give you a chance to respond anyway to that. Yeah, I, I, I do have some things to add. I mean, all this debate has been done, you know, in many places, proof of work versus proof of stake. And it's, um, I appreciate Justin kept it short. I'll try to keep it short. I do things I have, I do think I have things to add to this debate. 
that have not been said before. So I'll tr try to briefly touch upon them. Um, first of all, in terms of like money itself, it's a different characteristic versus, you know, security of a blockchain in general that is not related to senior age or money. If it is a general model, I would say I actually do sort of like proof of stake in many ways. I do think Ethereum is better as proof of stake. I'm not one of these Bitcoiners that are, you know, kind of bashing all the aspects of proof of stake. There are compromises to make on both sides. I think for Bitcoin, proof of work is better for a few reasons. Uh, one, you know, Michael Saylor does have a point in terms of, you know, when energy is being spent to create the money, it goes back to my uh, term of earned ownership. You're earning it because you've actually spent a lot of energy on it rather than earning it because you already own 32 ETH. And so you get like another ETH. That is not necessarily like earned ownership in a socially constructive sense. Um, that is one of the reasons why I think proof of work is better suited for uh, Bitcoin. And of course, you know, I agree with a lot of the proof of work promoter points that, you know, you're not actually wasting money, you're capturing stranded sources of energy, which are cheaper. And over time, that will more and more be the case. Um, so I think it's totally fine that we have two major currencies, one, one of each kind, achieving different goals. Um, and I'm not, I'm not against either of them. They, they do have benefits in terms of censorship resistance and uh, security. I will point out one thing that also has not been said before. I agree that the security um, in terms of dollars starts to be higher for Ethereum because of proof of stake. And that can be very good when you have real world assets on the blockchain. So you have things like stable coins, USDC that are backed by real dollars. You potentially have you know, other assets like um, NFTs or um, let's just say not related to ETH. So non-ETH assets and you want to secure them and you have billions of dollars worth of security. That is actually a good reason to have proof of stake. If you, have, if you on the other hand, have a, a blockchain whose only asset is itself and destroying that asset through 51% attack, you actually don't earn anything. There is no economic incentive. And I think um, Antonopoulos touched upon this many times when he tried to explain that if somebody did try to 51% attack Bitcoin, and this is different than, than Ethereum, if they try to do it against Bitcoin, maybe they could do some double spend here and there before like a, you know, a soft fork would happen or some coordination against them would happen, but they're not really earning anything. While um, if there are other assets that are not native to the blockchain, potentially you do want to have the, the higher dollar amount of, of security. So I think no one's really touched upon these. I just wanted to throw these things out there. No, I actually some, somewhat agree with you on some of those points. Um, and, and I'll just, I'm, I'm going to keep this short so we can go back to the, to the, the core of the subject here. Um, but I think, I think you probably agree that money is a type of representation of energy. Like, I think that's, that's like, you know, the role that, that money serves in a civilization as well. And so I don't, I don't create a strong distinction myself between say from the perspective and, and, and you, and you make a point about uh, there maybe being some edge cases there and, and proof of stake. Um, but I think from the perspective, at least from a very sophisticated and well-funded attacker, I don't think there's a big difference between that attacker spending a hundred million on equity in a mining firm versus a hundred million in equity in a staking firm. I think, I think I, I still, you know, side with this idea that really, you know, you can put a, a dollar value to the cost to attack and we need to increase that dollar value so that no single party is actually able to attack the chain. Um, 
now to go back to the um, you know uh, uh, proof of work and and Bitcoin because I didn't want to you know, make this an ETH versus uh, BTC mm. debate as I mentioned earlier. Um, g- going back to that, I think I think my position very much, and because I do agree with, with the seniorage of Bitcoin, and that's a valuable thing. And if and if and if Bitcoin um, adds inflation, adds a burning mechanism. Um, increases the block size limit, uh, starts to gain a lot of traction, you know, being used as money and starts to gain a lot of fees and, and all of that, then um, I, I would actually start supporting Bitcoin. I actually think that would be fantastic. Um, it would actually make me quite quite happy in terms of the way things are going because, you know, ultimately I do care about, you know, um, this space and it being being more um, adoptable for people. It's very complicated that, that we keep trading places between <laughs> different different cryptocurrencies and that does mess with the seniorage of things and and i do agree with you on that but but my problem with all of this is really that you know this idea that we have to increase inflation in the future i don't think that bitcoin will be able to survive that at least from the perspective of maintaining its dominant position um i think it will likely lead to a chain split just like we saw with the block size limit um and uh, I, you know, I have to point out some of the irony where uh, Jordy, maybe you'll be part of a minority fork one day in Bitcoin, trying trying to change it, and um, we'll we'll be able to have a laugh about that. Yeah, I, I, I don't think there's any possibility <laughs> of that happening by definition, because if indeed there is a security concern that one of the chains will die, if there is a fork, it will not be a minority. I mean, that will be the one that survives. If mm. if one of them starts having no security and the other one has security. The mi- like everybody will move to the one that has security. The miners will move. One will die. So, um, I, but I, I appreciate the point. You know, one thing that uh, was a surprising thing for me to learn, I'm not comparing Bitcoin to a cult, but one surprising thing about cults that you learn, right, is there are a lot of cults that predict the end of the world. And oftentimes the end of the world arrives and the world doesn't end. And you would expect rationally for the cult to disband because the prediction was incorrect and everything that the cult was based on is proven incorrect. But what actually ends up happening, which is slightly counterintuitive, is that the faith uh, and observance basically of the cult actually increases. And there is an explanation that is given, and then that belief is actually reaffirmed and strengthened uh, after the what should be a disaffirming event. Multiple examples of this through, let's say, religion, maybe as a less offensive term. Uh, you know, Catholicism predicts that the world is 10,000 years old or 5,000 years old. We discover via science that that's not the case, but it reaffirms that the belief. One uh, possibility that we haven't introduced yet in this in this discussion is that the inflation limit has to increase. We have to go from Bitcoin, uh, we have to increase the inflation limit for Bitcoin. And instead, the community rapidly affirms that and essentially forgets the entire rhetoric that led up to this point. I would actually, I would, I would take the, the over that that is the most likely thing that ends up happening. Personally, I would take I would take the over as well. And I have spoken to a lot of Bitcoiners who have gone down the rabbit hole, and they all told me that initially, when they faced with this idea, they had an instinctual repulsion of it. And as they go deeper and understand Bitcoin more and understand all the elements of it, they come through the other end and they're like, "Yeah, this makes sense." And this has happened countless times. And I understand, you know, even people watching this debate, a lot of Bitcoiners will initially like not like this idea. And at the end of the day. Let's let them get on their own journey. And when the threat is in sight, we can deal with it. In the meantime, there are larger issues that I, I think are, are very important. We all agree um, on you know, 
potentially the value, even you, Michael, I'm sure, given that, you know, you, you've kind of created uh, this, the Blockworks and, and like all having all these debates, you agree that there is a very strong need for a kind of self-sovereign money that is outside the system, a sort of digital nation of people around the world that can just take that into, into their own control and not be slaves of, you know, their, their ruler, whether it's, you know, a dictator or whether it's just a central bank that doesn't have any, um, you know, proper management. So we all agree on, on the goal. I think where me and Justin see the world differently, and, and I am very strongly convinced that there's something missing is this concept of coordination being able to happen in many little, like every little village can have their own cryptocurrency and it's all different and people just have a copper from different places and this allows a functional Roman society to exist. I would say that, first of all, that was true back then because scarcity was still applicable. It is still metal and metal is scarce. And so that's very different than copy-paste. It is, it is trivially easy to copy-paste a blockchain as we have seen, especially if you like lose part of the decentralization, you just have you know centralized validators. You can endlessly copy-paste you can have a million blockchains. I mean, we're seeing new blockchains come up all the time. So I think there is no such thing as lots of monies in the digital realm. There has to be coordination. And, you know, there is this concept of Moloch. And uh, this is one kind of ironic thing because a lot of Ethereum people, they, there's like Moloch DAO and they talk about Moloch. And Moloch is basically, is kind of like the God representation of um you know, the, the energy in the world that avoids people coordinating. It is the sort of part of game theory and prisoner's dilemma where because everybody does their own benefit, that actually ends up hurting everyone. And so in the sense of everybody wanting to make their own cryptocurrency and Richard Hart makes his hex thing and somebody else makes that thing over there and everyone's just like, you know, creating their own local communities, I would say that that is the very essence of Moloch is we are not allowing coordination, global coordination to happen. And it, it's a very much, a, I feel very strongly that it's a negative sum game and the lack of coordination with, from people who are trying to have a self-sovereign decentralized currency is, is really like hurting everybody. And there's not going to be many winners. There's going to be many losers as opposed to accepting that, you know, we have to coordinate on money and then we can play around with technology. At the risk of going back to something you uh, you said earlier, I'm, I'm taking notes here. I just want to reiterate that I just don't think that Bitcoin can serve as money without capacity. Like that's also part of the wall that I'm talking about. We have the security wall, but then we also have the uh, the block size limit wall that we'll be hitting. And and you mentioned, you know, Lightning Network earlier, and um, it's true that you can split, you know, one transaction into many. But if you want to control your own private key, uh, at the very minimum, you still need to do one on-chain transaction, and 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 even that is limited. So, I mean, I think I think those are multiple challenges in terms of Bitcoin needing to change. Um, and I'm very skeptical about you know that that community, and even more importantly, the the governance process itself. I'm not confident, and that's that's obviously a bit beyond the scope of this of this discussion. So I'll just leave the the governance question here. Uh, you, you can always uh, look up some of my other views on that subject. But I also want to touch on something else you said. You said that um, that if you have uh, many different blockchains, that 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 dilutes the scarcity of of that. I don't think that that's actually true. I think that's that's quite similar to saying that if the USD 
prints more money that inflates the euro. I, I, I don't think that that's how that works because these are all um, separate things, right? Um, and, and I think that if we're looking at BTC now, unable to really have uh, utility, unable to really truly serve as money at, at scale with, you know, uncertain security in the future, you know, e even looking at it, you know, really trying to be objective. And like, you know, I, I've, uh, you know, I look at a lot of things from the perspective of fundamental analysis. So I really try to look at like, what are the like objective um, truths? What are like the actual rules? What is like the actual reality beyond just narrative of these systems? Right. And if I look at it from that perspective and I don't put BTC into its own category, if I look at BTC as a cryptocurrency and I compare it to other cryptocurrencies from that like asset management slash fundamental analysis perspective, it, it falls so far short in terms of its capability, in terms of its 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 future. And and you know, I, I much rather bet on on cryptocurrencies that have have very strong security, have very, you know, good predictable supplies, you know, and and also have you know, and I, you probably don't agree with me on this. And again, I'm sorry for bringing this up when we don't really have the time to fully hash it out. But I think on-chain governance is also a really critical aspect to, you know, being able to have blockchains change. And I think Bitcoin lacks the capability to change. And I think looking at it from this perspective, um, I, I really don't believe it will be able to change in time. And, and, that, and that really comes back, you know, to the core of my argument that, you know, uh, it doesn't have utility without capacity, and there is no long-term security without a utility. Just, just one moment, if, if you don't mind, and then I'll let you speak. Um, and then, you know, without, and and there's also no value proposition without security and utility. You know, and you know, supply is not predictable. You know, and that all of this gives it weak token economics, which I think makes it not competitive in the market. And and really, I know I I, I sound like such a party pooper right now, like, <laughs> but 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 that's but that's but that's really how I see it. And I think we need to be realistic about that. And I think that you know um, you know these ideas about about scenerage and the immaculate conception of Bitcoin, you know that's a beautiful vision, that's a beautiful religion, but I just don't see um, you know being able to to convert people into that set of beliefs with the alternatives that we have in the free market today. Sorry, go, uh, go ahead, Jordi. Um, I mean, I, of course, like part of our disagreement is whether Bitcoin is in its own category or whether you just lump it in with a bunch of other layer ones and, and, you know, you compare it in terms of, you know, how much programmability and how much, um, I, I definitely put it in its own category because of the intrinsic value that I mentioned and the intrinsic value comes from that lore and the genesis of it and the zero to one and the creation, which cannot get replicated ever. And the shelling point of, you know, the power of shelling point. Like you, you think France, let's meet in France. Where are we going to meet? We're going to meet at the Eiffel Tower. We don't have to like even say it. We're just going to meet at the Eiffel Tower. That is a powerful thing. That is more powerful than like anything else that can be technologically fixed and, and tweaked later on in, in, in the life as, as things get. Um, so we, we disagree on that. And it's it's important that we point to where the disagreement lies. And, and I, I do kind of put Bitcoin in a completely different category than, than other layer ones. And I will posit to you and really kind of challenge you to imagine a world where, you know, let's say Bitcoin is, is lumped with everything else. So of course it dies in that scenario because it, it doesn't have the capability to, to keep up with, you know, the technological innovation. And in that world, 
right now, you know, I, I see your thread. Sometimes you you say like this one's bad, that one's bad, the Solana, this and whatever. And right now your favorite, you know, you've had different favorites, and right now your your favorite is, is Ethereum. So um, you know, in this world where Bitcoin has died and you and you know, you you've chosen Ethereum, and you know, people inherently keep making technological progress and there's Aptos and there's gonna be another one, it's gonna be a hundred times faster and then a ten thousand times more transactions. And so like some people who follow your belief will just gonna say, Well, now I wanna go with Aptos, you know, I wanna go with this other one because that that more represents cash. And in that world, how how do you imagine the chaos? somehow leading to coordination where we actually have an alternative to fiat. I would say that there is no alternative to fiat and we just end up with endless speculation cycles. Yeah. No, I mean, look, I, I don't like it. I don't like to have that much chaos. I don't like that, you know, the, you know, the most of the top 20 cryptocurrencies from my perspective are kind of garbage. You know, I don't like that, but that I think is, is the reality. That's, that's where I'm a realist. Right. And I, I do think at a certain point, you know, the technology will mature and the, um, the gains that can be made by, you know, a clean slate through the form of a new blockchain will be limited. So in the future that I see, I see, you know, five to 10, say, dominant protocol layers, and that might shift over time. And the differences might be in engineering trade-offs and, and ideological trade-offs even. So, yeah, I mean, I, I mean, you're right. It's very, it's very chaotic. And I wish that Bitcoin just got it all right. And I wish that Ethereum would just get it all right. But it, but it probably won't. And we probably need to go through several more iterations before we really find something that can, that can stay dominant for thousands of years, let's say. But, but I do think we'll, we will reach that because of the network effects that I mentioned earlier around security um, and, and also just, just the nature of human beings. You know, we, we do find these, um, you know, we, we are able to meet under the Eiffel Tower, so to speak. And I think, I think, I think ultimately we will reach a future where, where that's the case and there might be a few shifts. And I think there's still a lot of challenges. I think, I think this is all still a running experiment really, like in the same sense that, you know, the United States is still a, a still running social experiment. And, and the thing about social experiments is they need to be carried out on a grand scale in, in the real world. And that's exactly what's happening. And I might not like the outcome of, of Bitcoin stagnating and as having to move to the next thing and then having to move to the next thing after that. Um, I, I don't like it, but that's also the reality. I think, you know, at least I have to deal with and, and, and attempt to assess. And if I assess it objectively, and I think, I think you're right in saying one of the big differences is you're putting BTC in a different category, but I would argue, why would you put BTC in a different category? It's a cryptocurrency. It's, 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 it's attempting to achieve these same goals. I think that that adds a, um, it, it makes things less objective once we do that, because that's, that's the equivalent of saying there is no competition to Bitcoin. And I think that is a, um, that's a short-sighted, I think, view. I'm, I'm a bigger believer in the, in the free market solving these problems than I am the current Bitcoin community. There have been a lot of really great points addressed. And one of the things that I've appreciated about this talk, first of all, both of you guys have been extremely civil, but also I think we've been able to address some head-on agreement. And this has not felt to me like ships sort of passing in the night. So I kind of want to give each of you the chance to just, if you had to sum up your sort of point of view. Um, maybe we can, can end there. I just want to say, I, I have a lot of respect for your point of view, Jordi, and, and I appreciate what you're doing. Um, I really do. And I don't want to kill Bitcoin. Um, I just want the vision of Bitcoin to succeed. 
And ultimately, I think for me, at least in the way that I see it, I think supporting Bitcoin is, is counterintuitive to that to that vision in terms of, in terms of having, you know, decentralized money in terms of, you know, immutability in terms of censorship resistance. I think it's counterproductive to that goal. I think because of Bitcoin, a lot of people think that, that cryptocurrency is this purely speculative thing. And, and I think that's a very negative um, perception of what cryptocurrency really is and what it's really able to do. So therefore I think, you know, we will be better off pulling that, band-aid off sooner rather than later because i think from that perspective it's actually doing harm to i think you know the vision of satoshi that that me and geordie both believe in and are you know in our own way pursuing to achieve in the world yeah likewise i i appreciate it uh, that you've you've uh, brought a lot of interesting points and you're trying to have this discussion from a place of actually you know trying to solve a lot of the common goals that, that we all have um, indeed, like, I think that throwing away Bitcoin would, would be throwing away the, the baby with the bathwater. There is something inherently unique and valuable with Bitcoin through its provenance, through the ability to earn the ownership of people, um, having wealth in Bitcoin. I think that more, more, more than ever, there is a need to address both, um, you know, the issues with fiat currency and have a solution that is viable. I think cryptocurrency right now is so small that it is no, not even close to being able to sustain 10 different currencies and have that sort of lead to any kind of coordination. I think for the current status of the world and the current size of the market, we do have to kind of say that this is the money and then the other things can, can create technologies and services. I don't disagree with you on the technological uh, limits of Bitcoin, but I think that what is more likely is that those things will get addressed in the future and we will kind of keep the valuable thing, which is the state. Um, and I will say, uh, when, when you look at the Ethereum merge, which is so celebrated in the Ethereum community, there was no reason to do all this merge, which is basically you have an airplane, air, airplane in flight and you're trying to change the engine and, and kind of change how, how it's working and swap it out in the middle of it flying. That is such an incredibly difficult task that they achieved and it took years of planning and it was it was an incredible engineering but why do that why not just make a new proof of stake chain that has all the attributes and just and just kind of that would be so much simpler a lot less risk technically and in every other way and there's a reason why they didn't do that it's because the state of five uh, eight nine years of, of ethereum has accumulated and that is what is of value that they've tried to save and, and keep the plane going. Because if they landed the plane and changed the engine, it would no longer be on the same trip and there will be something inherently lost. And so I find it a bit ironic that Ethereum community understands this and they celebrate this incredible feat of engineering, which is the merge. And you know, I, I do own Ethereum. I'm a big Ethereum supporter for, for certain things, not for money. But at the same time, they seem to lack the, the basics of the whole point is that the state is accumulated knowledge and history and coordination and Bitcoin has even longer state and is by far the longest. And, you know, the initial blocks are well-earned by people who really created the space. And you, you can't really make the equivalent arguments as to people who joined the Ethereum ICO. So um, just in summary, I think there is something very valuable to protect. 
I agree with Justin. I don't know exactly the challenges that will come. There might be some challenges. I do believe that as those grow closer, there will be ways to address them. And um, ultimately, the concerns I have with other cryptocurrencies taking the form of money is another last issue I'll, I'll just quickly touch upon. I know we're running out of time, but the issue of kind of global inequality, which is going to be for the next hundred years, I think maybe the biggest issue in the entire world. When you have new chains that are needing technologically literate people, like VCs, like all these VC bros, they hate Bitcoin. They, they like Ethereum, they like other stuff because they're the ones earning the Cantillon effect. They're the closest to the new technology. They're the ones who see it coming. And so of course it's great for them that there's, you know, Ethereum and then there's the next one because they are front in line to eat that bread. But actually in terms of like helping inequality in the world, it is as far away from that as possible. It's probably worse than the fiat system where, you know, the, the centralization of ownership of the next blockchain, the next blockchain, you will need to have that education and that technological understanding to be able to be a part of that. And I think while Bitcoin also has certain issues and, you know, we have Winklevoss brothers and, you know, another thing that I disagree with, with all the Orthodox Bitcoiners on, I don't think it's good that this huddle culture where you have whales, you can have small people hodling, but whales hodling is not good for distribution, is not good for like creating equality across the world. I would love it if this Winklevi just sell it like 90% of their Bitcoin, give it to a bunch of new people and they can kind of join the community. I don't think that that should be celebrated. And one of the main challenges I do see with Bitcoin is, you know, it is a free rider problem from a game theory perspective where some people can just hold the coins, not spend them, not distribute them and let other people do the work and just 10 years later be a lot richer. And that is, that is one of the concerns that I do have with all cryptocurrencies. So you, you talk about the state. The, the, the state of Bitcoin being very important. And I acknowledge that is important, you know, and, and just to translate for anyone who might not understand what we're talking about, we're talking about all of the account balances and like who holds what and, and all of this human capital that's, that's invested in this thing. Right. Um, and you also talked about, um, you know, freedom and, you know, people being empowered by this technology. Now I have two things that I'll, that, that I think this will be my final state, final, final statement um, that, uh, first of all, that I think that because we have this wall in terms of utility, that Bitcoin is just technically unable to empower a large amount of people around the world because it hits this this scaling limit that it's just unable to to get past. So, you know, talking about, well, can a poor African country, can they all start using Bitcoin and own their own private keys? No, they can't because the technology is just not capable of that. And I think it's because of this underlying utility. I think a blockchain that is capable of this will eventually over time grow a a, a stronger state than Bitcoin has. And, you know, you might be able to argue that that could already be the case of Ethereum. I'm not going to make that argument because it's um, it's difficult to prove. Um, but but I think that the utility will drive a growth in usage. And that growth in usage will bring about a stronger state than Bitcoin itself possesses. Just because it was the first doesn't mean it will always be the first. And I think, I think that's where my utility-focused, more utility-focused thesis comes in. 
where it's going to lose supporters when you increase the inflation limit. It's, it's, it's going to lose supporters or it might split into two sides, actually, as has happened before, you know, when you increase the actual capacity of the network and all of these things. And I think that will gradually weaken and weaken the state of Bitcoin as alternatives are, and this is provable, have been growing their state fairly consistently over this time. And I think that's where I can see the uh, changing of the guard occurring because of the underlying value that I think this technology is able to provide that I don't think Bitcoin is able to capture, or at least not in time. Guys, uh, I'm sure we could go on for another three hours here. Uh, unfortunately, we're going to have to wrap it. Really appreciate both of you guys coming on, having a really civil discussion. You've given me an enormous amount to think about and digest, uh, and I'm sure you've given the audience a lot to think about and digest as well. Uh, Justin and Jordy, thank you guys so much for coming on. We'll have to do it again thank sometime. You. Thank you. Cheers, fellas.